0: I have a friend who says that when he goes to church, he goes not so much to learn new things, but to be reminded of the most important things. Now, as someone who teaches on a Sunday morning, I do hope that once in a while you come here and go, oh, I never thought of that. Oh, I didn't see it from that way. But I think he's right. I think when we come to church, that that our primary, one of our primary goals is not to be innovative and come up with a whole bunch of new things, but to come together and to remind each other of the things that are most important. And we're finishing this series today. We've been calling Making Moments Famous, because our word for Celebrate or to celebrate celebration in English comes from the same word that, that means, um, talks about celebrities, people that we make famous, people that we think about and talk about a lot, people that become very well known. And so when we celebrate, when we celebrate certain things or people or moments, we are making them famous. We are making sure that we're reminded of them over and over and over, which means I believe that for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have so much to celebrate. It is crucial that we celebrate because that which we celebrate, the things that we make famous, the things that we always put before our our eyes and our minds, that we're always remembering, that we're always ruminating on, the things that get celebrated get repeated. So that which we celebrate, when we remember things, when we make certain moments or aspects or characteristics or people, when we make them famous, we're reminded of their importance. And then that reinforces and rewards behavior that aligns with those things that are most important. So parents, you know this, because once upon a time, you probably tried to potty train a child. And when you potty trained a child, there was probably a moment or moments where all of a sudden there was tons of applause and cheering and maybe rewards that went to that child. No one had ever been so happy that they made it to the bathroom before. Why? We can't forget about this. This is the behavior we need to reward. We need to be reminded of how important this is. Some bosses in workplaces understand this well. The things that you celebrate, that which gets celebrated gets repeated. and so if you think about aligning um, your values as a company or an organization with the rewards, what do you get recognized for? What do you get a raise for? What do you get promoted for? When those behaviors align with the things that are most important, you say, we need to celebrate those things, we need to celebrate them over and over and over so that everybody knows what's most important to us, and then we reinforce after that, as we bask in the things that we believe are so much important, we reinforce and reward behavior. We start to live out those core values. Today, I am going to strongly suggest to you, and maybe you're already doing this because it's the middle of the summer, that you invest in celebrating this summer. That you actually become very intentional about some celebrations that happen, to be reminding yourselves, your family, the people around you about the things that are most important, to make them famous in your life, in your life, so that your behavior is reinforced and will live those things out. When we celebrate, we remember what's most important, and we reinforce and reward our behavior accordingly. I wonder if that's why, in the book of John, we've been looking at a bunch of these instances, in the book of John, the gospel of John, we read about Jesus' life, and over and over, Jesus seems to stand up and say certain things that are very, very important during festivals, during Jewish festivals, his people, his religious tradition, um, they'd be celebrating something, and then Jesus would stand up, and he would say something really profound, and I think what he was doing in those instances was maybe uh, challenging some of the things that they celebrated, maybe celebrating Some of the things that they celebrated as well, but also pointing to something that is greater. So in John chapter 10, verse 24, it says um, that they were celebrating the Feast of Dedication, which is the Jewish festival, most of us know it as Hanukkah. So Hanukkah was um, a celebration, translate dedication, where they celebrated the temple being rededicated. So almost a couple of hundred years before Jesus' life, uh, 167 BC. there was a, a Greek leader named uh, Antiochus Epiphanes and uh, he looked at his kingdom and they were expanding that whole area of the world. They were the superpower of the world, kind of the Greek empire. And one of the things he did when it came in relation with the Jewish people is he was trying to kind of solidify, hey, we all are gonna worship the same way. And so he outlawed a, a lot of their practices, like their public reading of scripture, uh, observance of Sabbath and some other things. And then on top of that, Uh, he brought in and sacrificed a pig in the Jewish temple. Now understand for a second, for the Jewish people, pigs were unclean. They were thought to be, you know, this was a barrier you didn't eat pork. uh, You didn't touch pigs. It made you ceremonially unclean for worship uh, because it was this symbol of uh, we're not just common people. Uh, We're supposed to be a holy people. We're supposed to be different. And so it's supposed to kind of route your thinking that way. And Antiochus Epiphanes came in right into the temple. They sacrificed a pig to Zeus, the wrong god. You can imagine this just for the Jewish people. This was like the last straw. They were being conquered in so many different ways. And now their religion was under attack. And now right in front of everybody, that central place where they would go and worship their God had been desecrated. And it stirred them up. And there was a group of people uh, that came together in sort of like guerrilla warfare, went to fight the, the Greeks and to assert their independence again, to take the temple back, which they did under a leader called Judas Maccabees, which you might know. His nickname, Maccabees, the hammer. And it was, hey, here comes this great military-style leader taking a small group of people who can fight and take back what is ours. And then when they had done that, in a pretty miraculous fashion, by the way, they rededicated the temple. And then every year they started to celebrate Hanukkah, the feast of rededication. This is our place of worship. This is where we come to worship the one true God. And just before that happens, in John chapter 10, Jesus had stood up and he had talked about um, being the good shepherd, being the great leader. So at a time when people were thinking about their leader, Judas Maccabee, the hammer, the one who comes and violently takes back what is ours, Jesus comes and actually offers a different way. And I don't think it's an accident that it's right at the time of Hanukkah so much to celebrate. And yet Jesus probably saying, I want to redirect your thinking and remind you of what is ultimately important. We need to celebrate, make famous the character of God and who he is as he invites people to come follow him in that. So that's where we kind of pick things up uh, in John chapter 10, first one, verse one. This is sort of the context of where things are going and what is happening. This is what Jesus says. I tell you the truth, Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the kind of leadership that Jesus was offering them when he talks about being that kind of shepherd and the kind of leadership that he is uh, speaking against. And I think what he's doing again is reframing people and saying, we need to make famous the character of God so that our lives will align with what God is doing. And so he starts talking about Sheep and sheep who will know their shepherd through this intimacy. They will know his voice. They'll be able to recognize that's my shepherd and they will follow him. And yet then there's other shepherds that they will recognize that's not my shepherd and they won't follow him. And my hope is today we can dive into some of that and recognize in our faith and our spiritual lives what needs to be celebrated, what it is the voice of our shepherd that we need to listen to and celebrate and live in. And perhaps what are some of the things that we need to make sure we say, wait, that voice is not my shepherd. That is not what we celebrate. That is not what we're going to live in light of. So when Jesus starts and he talks about uh, here the thief and the robber, anyone who jumps over uh, the, 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 uh, the wall instead of going through the gate, what is he talking about? This isn't Jesus just uh, imagining something or making up something. This is an allusion to Ezekiel chapter 34. And so there probably would have been people, good uh, Jewish people who knew their Bible, the Hebrew scriptures, who would have heard Jesus talk about these shepherds and those who are thieves and robbers and jump over the wall and said, oh, I've heard that before. Let me read a little bit to you about what comes from Ezekiel chapter 34. So this is from uh, about uh, you know, hundreds of years now before the time of Jesus. The prophet Ezekiel uh, talking on behalf of the people and saying, here's who you need to watch out for. This is the kind of leadership that's actually toxic that you need to make sure you're not following. And here's what he says, Ezekiel 34, verse 2. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you, shepherds, who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, and butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You've not taken care of the weak. You've not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You've not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. Let's take a look at three characteristics of kind of toxic leadership that Jesus or, or God is speaking through Ezekiel to the people and saying, "Here's the shepherds; these are the thieves; these are the robbers that jump over the wall that you are not to listen to." Toxic leadership looks like this—at least three ways it can look. One is selfish; they don't help those in need. It says you feed yourselves. Instead of your flock, you're serving yourself and what you want as leaders, and yet the people who are hungry, the people who are in need, are the people that you are ignoring. This is and always will be a counterfeit way of gathering people in their faith. I can think of two prevalent examples that we might be familiar that might fall into this category. One of them would be uh, what many of us know as the prosperity movement. So perhaps people who would come and say, hey, if you do the right things, if you follow the right formula, if you say the right things, and usually if you send the right people money then God is going to give you a whole bunch of money. Health and wealth, everything's going to be okay. There's leaders out there that, that are basically saying, you give and you give and you give and you give. We'll take and take and take and take without actually feeding, without actually giving people what they need. You wrap it up in, in, in faith and this is what God wants for you and this is uh, you know, how you're supposed to live it out and good things will happen to you and what happens, hungry people go unfed spiritually and maybe even materially, just they don't have enough because we've heard those stories perhaps, giving away, giving away, giving away money, we shouldn't give away to people who have no real concern for your well-being. Second one, and this might hit a little bit closer to home to a lot of us, is when we make the gospel all about getting to heaven when you die and ignoring people's actual daily needs. And perhaps you've had that experience. You've been uh, in a church or a culture where everything is all about say the right prayer, make sure that you get out of hell and into heaven at the end of the day. And that's all that matters. And then you we go, well, what happens? What about the suffering people in the world? What about hurting people? What about people who literally need to be fed or need to be fed spiritually? And the message just becomes, well, say a prayer, get saved, go to heaven when you die, which Okay, that's fine, except what about the actual needs that we have? When we ignore those needs, we say these are shepherds who are looking at their people and not giving them what they actually need. Very strong rebuke. Those who feed themselves but don't feed their people. Don't give the sheep what they actually need. Some of us, we can have very detailed, and by the way, mostly it comes from the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, which again is fine, but here's how you get to heaven. Here's what you have to do. Here's all the little things, and yet if you start with Jesus, which is where we start, and you read Jesus, I am convinced there's no way you can read about the life and teachings of Jesus and ignore the everyday needs and suffering of people in the world. It's just impossible if you read the Gospels. And you say, oh, does that mean that, you know, we're accepted because we feed people? No, no, no that's not what I'm saying. Just mean when, when you embrace the all-encompassing love and grace of God, it has to include caring for those who are in need. Any kind of selfish, this is about, uh, you know, those who are in charge, and it feeds them, but it doesn't feed people, is toxic. Second one is when they're too inwardly focused. It says in Ezekiel um, after you haven't taken care of those who are hurt or sick or injured. It says, you haven't gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you've ruled them with harshness and cruelty. You're just so concerned with those of you who are already here that you've kind of written off those who are lost, those who are outside of the pen. It's become all about us while we ignore them. And in religion and faith, that's a real easy mindset to get in, this us versus them, that we're focused on us. We're focused on those who are already here. We're focused on just our needs, on what makes us comfortable. And sometimes the way that we can kind of live that out is the expectation is those who are on the outside of our community or right now don't fit in, well, if they kind of convert to our way of thinking, our way of doing things, the things that make us comfortable, then they can come in, but we're kind of staying here. Jesus, you'll notice, Goes the opposite way. He is the shepherd that will leave the 99 and go after the one who is lost. That he cares for those who are on the margins, who are on the outside. Not just those who are on the inside. And so where you would see a very exclusive way of doing things, there's again a harsh uh, critique of that. Finally, um, he says they're harsh. They're cruel. They burden people these shepherds, these leaders are just putting more and more on people and, and it's, just, it's it's too much. And maybe one of our, our biggest examples of that is just when we become all about uh, people having to live up to our standard and what we have for them, a very judgmental religion, which we talked about in the last couple of months did a whole series on being judgmental, when we feel like we've got it all together and everybody else has to do what we do and how we do it. And if they don't, then we judge them, we exclude them, we push them out, it becomes harsh and cruel. Jesus talks about this, in, in Matthew chapter 23, you just burden people with these heavy burdens, but you don't lift a finger to help them. And so when Jesus in John chapter 10 is talking about the thieves and robbers that jump over the fence, the shepherd said that you hopefully want to say, oh, I hear that voice, but that is not my shepherd. You might identify that voice of when it's selfish and exclusive and harsh or cruel. And if that's the case, then if our faith is looking selfish and exclusive and harsh, we are not following Jesus. If your faith is selfish, exclusive, and harsh, then you're not, and we're not, following Jesus. These are the thieves. These are the robbers. These are people who have maybe seized power and authority somewhere who seem to be in charge. And Jesus said, recognize that voice, but that's not your shepherd. When he talks about that, I think there'd be some people who key in and go, oh yeah, Ezekiel 34, we've been here before. We need to make sure that whatever we're following and whoever we're following doesn't fall into those categories. Perhaps some of them would go, is Judas Maccabee the way that we should follow? A violent way of seizing back control, fighting, fighting, killing for what we want? Jesus had come to show a different way and a different kind of shepherd. So then he continues on in verse 6, back in John chapter 10. To clarify, because not everybody understands. It says those who had heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he kept talking. He explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. And the thief's purpose is to steal, steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Okay, so let's go to the flip side. We've seen some of the toxic elements. What would a life-giving leadership look like? What is the voice that we want to listen to? What is the voice that we want to make famous in our lives? The one that we want to celebrate? The one that we want to follow after? How would we recognize the Good Shepherd? Number one, his leadership is abundant and is rooted in abundance. Jesus says that he is the gate. In some writings in the ancient Near East, what we find out about shepherds is that uh, there'd often be uh, some kind of sheep pen. Maybe it was uh, a stone wall kind of around everything. And then there would be a gap, which was the gate. And there would be shepherds who would sometimes literally become the gate. They would sleep in the gap so that whatever was not supposed to come out couldn't come out, and whatever was not supposed to go in, could not go in. It was protective. If there's a predator out there, They're going to have to go through me to get to the sheep. You want my sheep? You want to hurt my sheep? You got to go through me. I am protecting them. I'm caring for them. I am going to be there for them. But Jesus says they'll also, they'll come in and they'll go out freely and they will find good pastures. That Jesus is saying, good shepherd in abundance is going to say, I'm going to protect you from evil. I'm going to protect you from harm, but I'm also going to let you out and go to the good pastures. I'm going to give you abundance. It's talking about provision. I'm going to give you everything that you need. Psalm 23 might come to mind for some of us, that he will lead us by still waters and green pastures that will restore your soul, that the good shepherd wants to give you an abundant life, everything that you need. Perhaps when we see the word abundant, we might filter that through our uh, capitalist viewpoint of abundance. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Sometimes when we think of abundance, we think of that as luxury. That if you have an abundant life, it's because you've gotten rich, because you've done so well, because you've got more than everybody else. It's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about uh, the reality that through God's strength and the community, there is enough for everybody. And when we get on board with what God is doing and providing for us, and that means all of us together and we can come and share, we can trust that God gives us everything that we need, that he has enough, that he is abundant, that he, he has every resource in the world and he wants to share it with us, then we can trust that the good shepherd protects us from the threats and then opens up the gate so that we can go and we can get everything that we need, the water we need to drink, the grass we need to feed off of, everything materially, everything spiritually that we could offer, the good shepherd wants to give us and give us in abundance. And we do that together in community. We can share and we can trust together. There's enough for all of us. And God takes the gifts that we bring to the community in generosity and he multiplies it. Have you ever noticed that in in a lot of places, one of them is the Lord's prayer. When we pray for our daily bread, it's our daily bread. It's not my daily bread. Together in community We trust that God has everything for us and therefore we can share with each other. And there we find the abundance of the good shepherd lavished upon us. Verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. Second aspect Jesus brings up about a life-giving leadership is that it's sacrificial. That in Jesus, God is reconciled to humanity. And that means we find out. And really, I think our job in faith is to wake up to the reality that God loves us. And that love comes through sacrifice and not through violence. That again, as they were about to celebrate uh, the feast of dedication, Hanukkah, here was a leader that came uh, violently to take What they believed was theirs. Jesus comes in contrast to what so many people believed would be the Messiah. That's what, by the way, the conversation the rest of this chapter and ongoing is they're saying, you tell us, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the anointed one? Are you the king? Are you the one that God has anointed to come and save us? And most of them, or at least many of them, believe that that would be in a military fashion. It would be someone like Judah Maccabees. Someone who would come and fight and take it. And Jesus comes and says, shows them actually the way that God's kingdom, the way that God's love comes is through sacrifice. The good shepherd will come and lay his life down for his sheep. Willing to give himself and give his life rather than take someone else's life. That this is actually the way of the kingdom, the way that comes through beauty and grace and forgiveness, not through violence and force and domination. Life-giving leadership comes through the sacrifice of the shepherd. And he continues in verse 14 I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as my father knows me, and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The third thing I would say that that Jesus talks about in terms of life-giving leadership is that it's universal. And here's what I mean by universal, that word. um, When Jesus says to them uh, that there are sheep who are outside of this sheepfold. He's going to a people, and again, in their culture, and really in almost all the cultures of the biblical world, what was so common is that they believed that each of their own gods fought for them and against their enemies. And every culture, every group had their own god, or a lot of times many gods and goddesses. And they would go to those gods and goddesses and, and, and use different religious practices, sacrifices and prayers and all kinds of things to try and get their god to do for them Work on their behalf and to work against their enemies. And Jesus starts here, but we see this all through the New Testament. uh, And and the apostles who take what Jesus taught were big on this. He goes, oh, and by the way, he's speaking to his own people. He's a Jew speaking to Jews and and trying to teach them about the most important things in the way that God is living. And this would have ruffled their feathers. He goes, by the way, I know many of you are locked into uh, our Jewish God is going to come and save us from our enemies, the Greeks, the Romans, whoever was at whatever different time. But Jesus goes, oh, and by the way, this isn't just for us here. There's sheep who aren't in this sheepfold. But this message of abundance and sacrificial love, forgiveness and grace is actually God pouring himself out into the entire world. And we'll see that theme expressed throughout the rest of the New Testament and the great commission that Jesus would give people. That this might be starting here. He's announcing it to the people all around him, his own tradition, but it's not gonna stay here. That this love, this way that God works is actually for everybody. The invitation is open to anybody who wants to accept a God who's a god of abundant love and sacrificial love to open invitation it would have just jogged them out of where they were at into something new you go, well, what is that? What should it look like? So we had talked about, is it just that, hey, hey, those of us who do church a certain way and live out our spiritual way, want everyone to convert and and, and come to a place where they're just doing everything the way that we do it. Well, What happens if we disagree with people? What happens if there's problems? How is there unity? Look at what Jesus says. And I think this absolutely blows me away. What Jesus says, this is the goal, I think, of faith. Later in uh, John chapter 17, verse 3, he's going to talk about eternal life. And what eternal life is, is to know the one. One true God in Jesus Christ who has said, to know deeply. Look what he says here. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Get this. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. Here's what Jesus wants to invite us into. And this, I believe, more than just following the rules, more than just, you know, looking like we play the religious part, more than just reading our Bibles. What the goal of our faith is, what eternal life is, is union with God. This is absolutely incredible. Jesus, the one who is fully human and fully divine, where humanity and divinity crashed together, the one who lived in the fullness of God's presence in us says, and this is what I want for you. This is what I want to lead you into. This is where your faith is supposed to go, is that you would know God. You would know his presence inside of you, empowering you, living inside of you, that you would have this intimate interaction with God himself. Jesus says, the way that I do. Wow. Now we're not Jesus, but isn't that an amazing invitation to union with God, to know him, to experientially know the presence and the power, the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God. That is to be celebrated, to make that God famous in our lives, to always put before us a vision of a God who is that abundant and sacrificial and whose love is that universal and offered to everyone, to all of us, that we might experience a union with God, that we would know him the way that Jesus says, I know my father, to know his voice, to allow him to lead us and guide us, to strengthen us, to be the one that protects us and to provides for us, that we can trust in him and to know that we can live our lives out of him and out of that presence. It's a beautiful thing. So, listen, that which gets celebrated gets repeated. The things that we make famous in our lives, things that are always before our attention, are going to bleed into how we live out our lives. So, what is it that we're celebrating? By the way, if you take this and you say, well, then, I need to celebrate that kind of God, that kind of abundant, sacrificial, universal love. I need to celebrate that. Do you know what happens when you make that kind of God famous in your life? Another word, maybe a word we might find more often in the Bible, is to praise. It becomes our worship. We make God famous in our lives. How we sing, how we come together on Sunday mornings, how we treat other people, and I think... One of the ways that we can practice this, and this is beautiful good news, is to have celebrations, to literally celebrate. So here's what I am going to give to you as homework. And uh, John mentioned in our announcements about in two weeks, we have a Sabbath Sunday coming. Might be a perfect time. I'm not going to tell you what day you have to do this on, but I would invite you to plan a celebration to plan a party, to do something that allows you to make that kind of God famous in your life, in your family, with your friends and to do something. And maybe on a Sunday where we're not here together, that's a time where you can plan something and invite some people over to celebrate, make a moment famous, make God famous, make this part of your worship in your world. And you might be already there because it's summertime. You might be, oh, I've got tons of stuff to celebrate. I got vacation and we got fun things we're doing with the kids and all the rest of it. Beautiful. I'm going to talk in just a second about how to be just a tad more more intentional about it in terms of our spiritual lives. But some of you might come and go, I am in no mood to celebrate. I just don't feel it. I don't feel like I have a lot to celebrate. Life has been difficult. We've been going through a really hard season. I see a lot of challenges, a lot of hurts, and a lot of pain. If that's you, I totally understand. And I don't want you just to fake this. And I don't want to overlook that or diminish that. But I would say to you that perhaps if that's where you're at, it is even more important that you take time to celebrate. Make famous God's provision for you. Perhaps there's a time uh, in the recent history where you go, man, there's just this time and, I, and we looked and God, it was a hard time, but God provided for us. Make God's protection of you, famous. Oh, remember this time there was danger and we were so worried and we were so anxious, but God, maybe it's a long time in the past, but in this moment, you need to celebrate it. You need to, to, to make it famous. This God is famous in my life. So that the rest of your life can start to line up. You can experience the joy the joy uh, of who that God is. So number one, celebrate, make a moment famous. Here's some tips for how you can do that. Number one, I would suggest that you add some seats to your table. What does that mean? Just invite some people that aren't normally uh, at your house or your family. Get the, make the table a little bit bigger. Is there family, extended family you can invite over, their friends or their neighbors that you can share as you celebrate the joy that God has poured into your life somewhere? Can you share that with someone you might not normally share that with? Add some seats to the table. Joy that is given away expands and expands and expands. Number two, and this is just real practical, enjoy good food. Be reminded that God provides for us. And with some of the most basic things that we need, we need to eat on a regular basis. God provides every good thing. And as you eat your favorite foods, make your favorite dishes, go to your favorite restaurant, be reminded of the abundant love that God pours on you. Food just has this way of bringing us together. Number three, have fun. No working. I won't tell you when you have to do this, but this is huge. One of the ways that the, uh, the Jewish people have celebrated, and we should also, I believe, be celebrating, uh, is Sabbath every week. And you go, I don't have time for that. To rest. You're built for it. To plan time's rest. No work. Fun just do things that are enjoyable. Find things enjoyable for your kids. If you've got kids at home, things that breathe life into you, things that are recreation for you or recreate you, bring you alive, things that that are work. You say, we got to do those, but not today. Take a whole day off and celebrate. That includes, by the way, housework, cutting the lawn, unless you love it, unless you're cutting the lawn just brings me alive, then fine, do it. But listen, (laughs) that's part of the filter. Well, how do I know what's working Not Does it bring you alive? Do you love? The... Which means laundry, you probably go, we're going to wait till tomorrow. It's okay. But have fun. No work. And then finally, be intentional. So as you celebrate, and again, I am, I am telling you, throw a party, have a celebration. And somewhere in there, have a time where perhaps you read scripture with your family some of the psalms of thanksgiving. Perhaps it's a time where you just sit down and you thank God for some of the blessings, his protection and provision. Maybe there's something in the life of your family or your group of friends or whatever that isn't in the too distant past, but you've never celebrated and you go, we need to get together and just talk about, wasn't this a great thing that happened this past year? And God is so good to us and talk about it and be reminded of it and let it let it get into your soul, let it permeate into that deep part of yourself so that when you come out of that celebration, it's been made famous. Worship God by making him famous in your life over and over and over. So uh, I have a friend, as I told you, who said that when he goes to church, he doesn't go so much to learn new things as much as he goes to be reminded of the most important things. And so today, perhaps we can stop and in our own minds and even together make famous the most important things that God has loved us so much that he sent his son, that he would die for us, that, that any of us who would choose to trust in him would not perish but have eternal life. And what is that life? To know the one true God in Jesus Christ who he has sent. To be reminded that our God is a God of abundant and sacrificial love that is Uh, An invitation given to everyone, a beautiful universal invitation. That the cross of Jesus shows us his willingness to sacrifice for us, give us mercy and grace and forgiveness, and that the resurrection reminds us that death is never the end and God wants to give us all of life. We remind ourselves and we celebrate, we make famous that Christ has died, Christ has risen and Christ will come again. Amen.